Aloha, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the Hawaii Life Procast. Uh, my name is Matt Thiel. I'm the guest host for this Worth Shop edition of Procast, and I am absolutely thrilled to start a conversation that I think could probably go on for, you know, three to four hours and have it feel like it went by in 20 minutes uh, with my, my friend and longtime Worth Shop supporter, Michaela O'Connor Abrams, CEO of Dwell. Aloha, Michaela. Aloha, Matt. I'm thrilled to be with you today to talk about what we're going to enjoy together this weekend. I'm so looking forward to it. And I, I, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but, you know, in my mind, you were like the original keynote for really Workshop, the second year that we had. So for those of you that don't know, Workshop 2, which was on Oahu, uh, was really it was the first day it was the first event that we put on that was a full day event and and had stuff around it you know um, entertainment and and sort of other things that were related to the concert so it was our first sort of foray into like okay event production and it was so you were so gracious to come out and we were obviously total neophytes in the conference production world at that time but we had still great conversations and that would have been. 2011. So uh, yes. a lot obviously has has changed since then. Uh, but your your talk then was the new face of affluence, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about that and also how that's been updated. But um, maybe you can you can just briefly describe for everybody what that study is and was and and how it came to be, and maybe also we can talk about how it's how it's changed over these past five six years. Absolutely. Well, you know, Dwell is a 16-year-old company. Um, We started in traditional media, if you will, with a magazine. But really early on, um, Lara and I established the business model to be bringing modern design to everyone, anywhere, anytime, anyplace, and in any form. And in order to do that, you had to do one thing really, really well, and that was understand the community that you served. And I mean on so many levels, not just about their homes and why they liked modern design, but what scotch they drank and running shoes they wear and homes they own and cars they drive and uh, drove, excuse me, and places that they vacation and why. And that led us to begin a longitudinal study um, a few years after the launch of the magazine, but because we were just so keenly interested in the fact that research companies um, in this country are are all about the what, but not so much about mm-hmm. the why. So we endeavored to track attitudes and behaviors and really give context to the numbers. And so I went to two of the most respected, oldest guard uh, research companies who do track the um, affluent audience in this country and told them that I wanted to use their agreement statements and actually do an attitudes and behavior study. So why do these design-centric consumers, these people emerging that really transcend a normal demographic? Because the truth is, psychographically, they are driven by design in everything they do. Demographically, they're the youngest boomers, the oldest Gen Xers, and millennials coming into the study now. So I'd like to tell you that I knew exactly how it was going to all evolve and that I knew how deep and long that, tr- that uh, recession would be 
But if I knew that, I'd be talking to you from St. Bart's right now, or actually, <laughs> more appropriately, maybe from the most majestic place in uh, in Hawaii, in on one of the islands. But um, I didn't. However, We'd be together. What it did. There you go. But it did serve us so well to understand how to lead our brand. And in so doing, we found that all of the community uh, that we served and our brands, our partners in advertising and marketing, needed the same. And so it really then evolved into um, an ongoing study that has a a very small but mighty (laughs) consulting arm with it so that to auto brands and financial service brands and home automation brands and consumer electronics and the like, we meet with these companies and do uh, brand value scorecards and in-depth proprietary research so that they can do one thing really, really well, and that is completely get into the hearts and minds of their customer and the people that they want to be their customer. So it's a it's an amazing study. I, I never get tired of reading the tomes of data that come from it twice a year when we field it. Um, we don't pay these people. That's how engaged they are. They're so eager to tell us what they think mm. because they know that we are sharing this information with other brands who care. And at the end of the day, they just want to be served well. So if they can lend themselves their time their insights, their information to help us do our job better and help brands reach them more effectively, they're happy to do it all day long. So, and how many people are in the study? There are a panel of 9,565. Wow. And you, you earlier, you touched on, I think it was three kind of generational references but it sounded like a pretty broad range. So you said youngest boomers, Gen oldest X and Gen millennials? and millennials. Uh-huh. Oldest Gen Xers, got it. So it's almost and like so the 12. millennials are the... Well, oh, definitely, sorry, I want to hear that. Millennials are, millennials are what? <laughs> I have to know the answer. Are the millennials, yeah, the millennials are the smallest part of the study right now because they're just coming into it but we already see how they're affecting it. And, mm. you know, again, when, you, when you're really tracking attitudes and behaviors, you can watch almost like a barometer of um, personality or characteristics and see the different ways in which these attitudes and behaviors wax and wane when you mention things like luxury and they soundly kind of, scowl, if that's metaphorically speaking, if you could watch them as they were filling this out, yet love prestige, love gravitas, love the finest things in life, want very much to have fewer things but the best things. Mm. So still an amazing, I mean, we're talking about this sample size, just so you know, is projectable against 13 million heads of households who plan to spend 300 billion on everything in addition to food and shelter. Incredible. So it's really like you, you it, it sounds as though you started with a very, very broad appeal at, at, with design as sort of the anchor of, of the, the commonality between those, that 
gener- you know, that whole very wide generational demographic. And then you took that breadth, that width, and did a deep dive into, to use your word, the, you know, the psychographic kind of realm of what really drives them. Right. Is that, is that it's exactly right. right? It's, and a, then so, it's exactly right. So I remember being so struck by, I mean, some of the things you just touched on, you know, um, don't use the word luxury, but, but deliver the highest quality. And, and there was definitely a, you know, it, sort of 2010, 11, somewhere in that zone, right around the time of the second workshop, there was definitely a sentiment of like, you know, even even the most kind of ostentatious, uh, you know, wealth flaunting brands and, and consumers were just not doing that probably, you know, appropriately to the time. But then it also, it seems like it had sort of a lasting impact, like, and which is, there's a parallel to that in Hawaii where you're, you just don't, for the most part, you just don't really flaunt your wealth. And, and that's, that distinction is kind of one of the things we're going to explore this year at Workshop with that theme relate, which is just how different, different cultures, different places organize their values differently. And so whereas in a market like, you know, Beverly Hills or LA or uh, maybe, you know, Dallas, some, some of these markets where not only is it appropriate, it's kind of expected that you uh, maybe display your success and, or even that you take it to a level of really, um, you know, use, use a residential real estate broker as an example, you know, you you're going to buy the nicest car that you can have and there's no limit on no, no one's going to say, Oh, that's too flashy or too overboard because it's all done in the vein of one, uh, you know, taking care of your clients and giving them the absolute best, most, you know, incredible service and, and experience during their, their sort of shopping tour. But also it's a, it's an indication of your success. Whereas that mentality in a market like Hawaii or say Seattle or, or maybe even to like San Francisco is very, very different because the value of that display of wealth is, is just much lower on the list. And it, it might come about in other ways like, you know, philanthropy or some other way that you can sort of celebrate your business's success or your success. But it's, it's, it's very different than like, you know, wearing the latest Cartier watch and, and driving a Bentley and, you know, um, so anyway, I was just struck by how, especially around that time, 2010, 2011, that sentiment was really starting to make it way into a sort of a broader awareness, I think. And then I'd be curious to hear, has that changed much? I mean, what are the, what are the changes? I mean, it's been, well, that was 2011, so it's been five years. Are there major trends in that group that you're seeing? That I know that's a huge question, but specific to like no. you know luxury purchases and that kinds of thing, is it, or is it pretty consistent? No, it it continues to evolve, and again, of course, so do the demographic profiles, right? So right, as right. boomers start to phase out of the study, and Gen Xers become a bigger part, and millennials come into the study, you're certainly going to see those changes. But keep in mind that in 10 and 11, we were deep in the recession. And at that point, it wasn't clear to anyone when we were going to crawl out of it. Some industries crawled out faster than others. 
but palpably there was still people feeling the pain in 13. Right. Sure. Some people felt yeah. that it was rebounding in 12, but were still not recovered. Heaven knows the debacle nationally of the foreclosures and the overbuilding and to reabsorb all that and to, you know, even more importantly, um, help the people who were victims of that kind of recover and be able to figure out what they were actually going to be able to own is is a process not yet complete, but we've right. come a long, long way in in that time, in that six years. Um, what's interesting is one of the things that I will show in my uh, in my keynote on Saturday morning is uh, the brand cloud. Now, these are unaided uh, answers to just the question: Which brands do you admire and believe? represent the highest design mm -hmm. and apple wins the day every time every year no matter what but the brand cloud and these are the top 75 brands out of about 690 that they mention again it's unaided they're not checking a box they're writing them in um, the brands have changed a little bit in terms of position um, patagonia has gotten a little bit bigger room and board's gotten a little bit bigger um, so has Target. Um, so you, and then there's Chanel and uh, J. Crew and Volkswagen with Mercedes and Lexus and Volvo. So the lesson from that slide is not only why, what is it about the design DNA of all these brands that the the, the modern affluent feel is so consistent and so authentic. Number one, number two. The diversity of those brands is the proof that this group, this community of people are not slaves to badges in any way. There's no more uh, thinking that, you know, the gold appointments on your car is how you've arrived or the largest house mm. you can possibly build is your moniker of success or that you remodel a kitchen and the only thing possible is sub-zero because that's what you do when you have actually arrived and and do the perfect kitchen all those things have changed it doesn't mean that those brands don't have positions and and healthy ones with this group but it means that they cannot rely on the badge they can't rely on the next door neighbor to the joneses who have the sub-zero or have the mini cooper in the driveway or you name the brand can just count on the fact that they will say, well, that looks like success, therefore that's what I want. It's, that, isn't what, that isn't what follows. They're perfectly comfortable having a $40,000 B&B Italia sofa and an Ikea table next to it. A, um, a Tesla and a Fiat. A VW and a Maserati. The new Bentley SUV and a, um, a, a Chevy Spark. I mean... <laughs> it, it really isn't about the about the badge. It is really about what that person decides is good for them and what expresses their own authenticity. So it's not you, that they're not referential. A, do you think there's a shift to? Yeah. I mean, are, are the consumers paying more attention to the sort of quality of of the product as a result? I mean, is it like did we get all? Did everyone get just 
you know, money became scarcer and then we paid a lot more attention. And it doesn't mean that we didn't, you know, our styles didn't evolve. But it's, it sounds sort of like what you're saying is that the moniker is, is less, less safe and less important and people are putting more into like distinguishing for themselves what quality really means and what they're going to get out of that product. And it doesn't mean they're exclusive. That's they're usually exclusive. It could be both, but you better deliver in a sense. Right. Well, I mean, let's just look at why is Apple always, and you'll see in the brand cloud, it's not about colors, it's font size. We'll show you who's the most mentioned. I mean, let's think about it. Is it because it is hands down better technology than anybody else? No. Is it just better looking than anything on the market? No. Is it the glass store with geniuses behind the bar? No. It's everything. It's every mm. one of those customer touch points. It's the font on the box, right? It's the exact color scheme. It's the intention of the outfits the geniuses wear and um, how to use your app just to go in the store and buy what you need and leave without having to talk to a genius. It's all of that together and that is the it's the gold standard how do you as a brand follow that same roadmap and so, we certainly submit that that there's a reason why this group really thinks that apple's done the best job not any one asset in and of itself all of them together so interesting so i wanted to ask too you know you say as the boomers are going out and the millennials are coming in. So I don't know if you uh, are familiar with Bob Hoffman, but Bob is also a, a veteran, you know, works off at 10B and speaker and uh, is just brilliant. He's uh, He was formerly the type A advertising group, and maybe he still is, but he, he's sort of this rogue. Yes, I remember. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's first of all, he's always hilarious and his, his you know, the – his book, 101 Contrarian Ideas About Advertising, or the other is, um, I think it's Marketers Are From Mars and Consumers Are From New Jersey or something like, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he gave a hilarious talk about how basically uh, the advertising industry and, and brands at large are just completely addicted to millennials and they just drive all of this attention towards millennials, but that millennials don't have any money. And that if you look at basically like all of the data on who spends what, it's like everyone's 55 and over. And that's that they're like driving like 90 plus percent of the economy. Yet millennials are just like a sexier group or whatever. There's just some, some reason why the entire advertising industry is just like obsessed with marketing to millennials. So I don't, is, is any of that data sort of, sort of making its way, into the study and what's what are the what's the role of and this is a super broad question but what's the role of millennials and their influence kind of going you know into these older age groups who actually probably are uh, accounting for more of the, the the commerce if that makes sense yeah yeah it does so I think some important things what we see again remember these are our psychographics attitudes and behaviors. Millennials almost behave more like seniors than they do boomers or Gen X. They're nostalgic. They want to know everything about place. You know, wherever they choose to live, they're at the Chamber of Commerce. They're going on the hikes. They're finding out who their neighbors are, what are the zoning, what. I mean, they just are hounds about 
every detail about their existence. And in, in keeping with that, then, what's also true is, and, and is not just about millennials, has always been true. I remember 20 years ago, people would say, wow, I have designed this magazine. This isn't just about Dwell. This is uh, actually, we weren't even in existence 20 years ago, but other, another magazine who tried to be very hip and very young, the editor said, you know, we're writing this for 25 to 30-year-olds at the most. Well, you might imagine that when they did the subscriber study, and the median age was 44, they almost passed out. And it was because <laughs> boomers read 15 years younger than they are. Mm. Well, Gen X reads 10. So if you really look at uh, a population which we've only begun to see what their consumer behaviors and power is, right, with regard to millennials, because Bob's right. They don't have all the money yet. They are going to be the single largest segment of a population in the history of the world, bigger than boomers, mm-hmm. and we were the largest, right? We, I just gave away my age. I'm pretty sure you knew I wasn't a millennial, <laughs> so I guess I'm not bursting your bubble. Anyway. You're safe. Um, uh, good. But anyway, um, it, we just, this is why psychographics and behaviors and attitudes are so interesting because they really cross demographic lines. And I, I very much believe that the reason marketers are paying so much attention to them is because people are listening to what millennials have to say. And millennials are already tired of the internet, for heaven's sakes. Now, most right. people don't know that and or believe it, but they are. It's like, wait a minute. Machines aren't going to do everything. Where's the human touch in this? Events are some of the most coveted um, purchases by media companies and private equity firms and VCs than almost any other asset because they're Event. meeting places. Yep. Interesting. Like Worth Shop. I love that. Because I wish we could have told more of those at companies. The end, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, at the end of the day, you know, once you been connected to absolutely every device and every touch point possible from your watch to the phone, to the computer, to the iPad, to the whatever it is, to your smart home, to the thermostat, you are still a human. We are craving that interaction that then can, we can share our experiences about all of the connectedness and all that is true about our day or our career or whatever that, or our role as a parent, whatever it is. But we really do crave that. This is not, even though these are digital natives, millennials are not those retreating to their, you know, man caves or their, um, you know, dark closets. And just, just going to stay uh, online up their technology. No, right. they, they are. They're the ones pioneering a whole lot of new getaways and events in the mountains and on the, on the ocean. And, oh, my gosh. It's, it's so it's almost a, so it's like a healthy to reaction to the to the, the yeah. kind of entrenchment of technology into their lives that they're pushing back right. and saying, "Hey, let's let's create these oases of you know, being offline." Yeah. If I were a marketer, I'd be spending fifty percent of my dollars on the millennials, knowing that they don't have all the money they need for my product or my service, but they will. And for me to cement my brand. And all that it stands for in their hearts and minds means that I am helping invest in my future. 
And if your if your target, if your actual right now modern day target is reading 15 years younger, then there's no doubting the the upstream influence. I mean, yes, and I think it shows up in real estate, especially for us, you know, who let's face it, in Hawaii, it's, it's, it's a giant part of the market is a, a second home absentee, you know, even just the military transient market. Uh, and not just with the military, but, you know, the military, they're here for, unfortunately, you know, until they get orders to go somewhere else. And so that, that moves people in and out. I mean, I think if, if that crowd at large, if you just said, okay, what's the average age? And I'm sure the military would skew it a little bit younger, but the people that are buying second home, absentee vacation, you know, investment properties is an older crowd who are, <laughs> influenced by the taste and the fashion and the, the uh, appreciations of younger people. And so that's what's going to drive their, their interest to some degree. I mean, they're still, they still want, they want what they want. But if they're thinking about, just like you said, if you're a brand and you plan to be around in the next 10, 15 years, you're going to want to invest in winning their sort of mind share in their hearts now it's not that different really buying real estate. You don't want to buy something that really only speaks to you and not to anyone else because you, you're going to sell it in however many years and you want to make sure that there's some appeal to who, who likely will be the buyer. Very right. interesting. That's, yeah, that's absolutely so true. I wanted to ask, you know, not for like free consultation services, but we, we're in an interesting situation as we, you know, as we transition, we're part of the the sort of inspiration for this theme at Workshop is it has to do with uh, you know different value systems and how relationship cultures work and and you know I'm I'm making a pretty gross generalization when I use the expression relationship cultures because obviously there are you know, innumerable cultures, and uh, it's, it's not really fair to sort of lump them all together. But one simple explanation of it, uh, just to just to create the distinction and kind of start the conversation, is that you know in Hawaii, uh, one you've got you know, a, a Native Hawaiian Polynesian sort of host culture that uh, it, you know lives on lives on a, a number of islands and has a culture evolved related to that. Uh, so you can imagine pretty pretty quickly how uh, important relationships were and how, you know, other people were literally seen as a resource. And then you have centuries of immigration, you know, Chinese, Japanese, and Filipino, uh, you know, Portuguese, all of these different communities and cultures giving Hawaii what it's become uh, in, in the years, you know, however many hundreds, thousands of years this has been. And those cultures are largely far more organized around relationships than, again, I'll generalize, but the more classic Western kind of individualistic American dream. Um, anyone can do it. You know, you too can be successful and, if you if you can get a great job, you know, then move two thousand miles away from your family. You know, that kind of mentality. And it's not a, you know, I'm, I'm always quick to point out these aren't value judgments. It 
it's it's the way values are organized in different cultures. So some, you know, some groups may put the relationship to your elders in an extremely high rank and others may not. Uh, and, and it's also not fair to generalize about all of the different cultures that are in Hawaii. But I think, you know, classically in Hawaii, what goes on is we're in this sort of destiny of always as this melting pot that we are, always figuring out how to relate when we have these cultures overlap. And sometimes I use the examples of uh, like gears, like if, if each of these value systems is a gear, sometimes those two gears can come together and groove and make the sweetest engine that just is, is awesome and, and everyone wins. And sometimes they clash and sparks fly and they don't groove and, and it's awkward. And we're always in that conversation trying to figure out how we navigate those relationships. So now to my question, which is take Hawaii Life. You know, we've, we've started uh, largely as a neighbor island company. And I use that expression sort of cheekily because we always joke like we're all neighbors here. So, but Oahu, <laughs> uh, Honolulu always refers to uh, the, the, the other islands as neighbor islands. And I think kind of that's a colloquialism in Hawaii, but so we started, you know, on Kauai and then went to Big Island, Hawaii Island, and then Maui, and now Oahu. We've been on Oahu for several years, but because it's the city, and you know, that's Honolulu, and it's it's there's over you know, there's close to a million people there, and the value systems when you've got you know some of the most intense traffic in the country. Uh, all kinds of different motivations for real estate. You know, um, I mentioned military, but there's also uh, school districts and job commutes and, you know, growing families and shrinking families and uh, divorce and marriage and all of the things that, that are, you know, that influence conventional real estate. And not to say that those things don't go on in the neighbor islands, but the neighbor islands, the influence of lifestyle is so strong. The influence of that second home absentee owner, uh, you know, investment buyer. It just, it's, it's just there. It's, it's not, you can't do anything about it. And it doesn't mean that we're all not living here and buying and selling homes and under the same influences that I mentioned for Oahu. But when you've got, you know, a giant percentage of the market that's given by that global international demand, then it's a shift in values, right? So what we're dealing yeah. with as a company is we've, we have, you know, obviously aligned ourselves with design. Uh, we've aligned ourselves with representation. We have taken that sort of holistic, uh, deep dive view of design all the way down to the level of, you know, our, what we ask the consumer to sign, right? To the level of our contracts. But the challenge that we're facing is that, you know, um, having an identity that's that's kind of around and just use a global word like a lifestyle or celebrating um, the fact that you can go get in the water at, at 5 p.m. or that you, you know, you know, which where the sun's going to rise and how the wind's blowing and, and those kinds of things. That's a little bit different in a city where, you know, you got to you got to get off work by 530 to get ahead of traffic and you got to pick the kids up from soccer and you're not going to get home until it's dark. And, you know, it, it's just it's another world of of value, literally for us. 
So we're in that inquiry of like, how do we align and solve and, and sort of resonate with the challenges that that consumer is experiencing that are so different than, you know, like I say, the, that kind of absentee owner or, or quote, luxury buyer. And that's, again, not to say that that's all we do in the neighbor islands, but it is obviously a very different driver on a market like Oahu. So that was a long rant. I'm not expecting you to answer that question, but I'm definitely um, empathizing with the challenges that a, a brand or a company might face in dealing with a new demographic because it, it's it's yeah. not easy. Uh, well, so yeah, I don't know if that sparks any. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what you're describing in what really is unique to the islands um, is resident in a very different form in some of our largest and most densely populated cities, right? There are neighborhoods that represent cultures. There are, um, in San Francisco, neighborhoods that represent um, preferences, sexual preferences. There, I mean, mm, and right. we're all together, right? And yet it's, and their destination, certainly San Francisco, New York, even if I just look at those. But what but everybody really needs to get along, right? Everybody has some similar goals. Where on the island, you don't actually have to have similar goals. Hmm. You it would be best if you did, but you don't have to, because the population that is there just to visit their fabulous vacation homes and get get away and just escape and and the everything from the feeling of your skin to the aromas to the and fragrances and just the feeling that you have um, for a lot of people is just all they want and or need in a temporary way on their quote unquote vacation whereas people who choose right. to live there actually I believe and you probably know this far better than I but are really driven there because they want to immerse themselves in something so different, not in diversity as much as just in the form factor of the diversity, right? You're, you're gathering in a place where, as you pointed out, the different groups and the history and the, I mean, it's, it's fascinating and deeply rich in a way that the mainland's um, standard, you know, metropolitan areas are not. So diversity is one or, thing, or at least the, they're not the as present. Right. Yep. I mean, I think exactly. it's all it's all right out exactly. there for Hawaii. Right. And I think too, exactly. some of the challenges exactly. that we have are, are are also that you know it, it, it's 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 a very literal level of thinking about you know what those those consumers value. And how to resonate with it and explain that we also have it, but maybe that we aren't, we weren't necessarily celebrating it or pushing it up to the top. And I think it's something as basic as, like, just, I'll just use a very, you know, broad strokes or a business catch all term of like, you know, professionalism, right? Well, on the neighbor islands, I, I, I think it's safe to say that. There's a there's an identity that kind of says, look, uh, you know, I don't have to be wearing a suit with cufflinks, or you know, or take for example, I don't have to be driving a Tesla um, to be a professional. You know, I can I can have a balanced life where, 
you know, I know it matters, I know it's important, and I'm going to, you know, have my value set. And at the same time, I can absolutely know the the incredible depth that's required to navigate, you know, a, a residential real estate transaction or a, a mortgage process or, you know, all of the all of the the logistical semantics that go into you know, doing our business, um, which are unfortunately quite boring and you know don't make great television and don't really make great marketing. But you, that's it's that professionalism. You have to have that. It's like there's nothing, there's nothing sexy about it, but you you can't do without it. Um, so the challenge that we have is things like you know say you know professionalism, ability, market reach, um, you know availability, those kinds of things that may be less exciting and that really matter to the the people who say live in Honolulu that have that are have been there for generations and that also and here's where the real challenge is because they're in a relationship culture they also have a niche right they have their they have their attorney that they call they have their a uh, plumber they have their contractor it's, and it's all sort of family oriented right so until something goes wrong, until someone gets in trouble or they realize, oh, this person's not safe or that guy doesn't work for whatever reason, there's not really an inroad to begin with. And then when there is that inroad, the values that they're going to look for are, are very different. And so this is, I mean, I, it's too strong to say it's a struggle because we're, we're doing great on Oahu and I love Oahu, but, but because it's new to us and we're realizing that we have to align ourselves differently with that sort of demographic, um, we're in a similar consideration of trying to figure out the why behind, you know, what what they do and how they do it. And, and it might just be as literal as like, we have to go out and enroll the, you know, the connected broker or agent that understands it and let them speak to us. Uh, but we're, we're definitely, you know, very kind of transparently in this inquiry. So... Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, no, and I think David the people, seen. well, the most successful people whom I know you will have at, at Worthshot because that's why they're successful, because they put themselves in the position of being with other people that they think know things that they may not or have an, uh, an idea or an angle that they may not have considered that's what makes them so good at what they do. They never think that they know everything. Those are also the people that give you the best information about what is happening in their world of, of customers. And I'll bet if you did gather enough of them, you would have some really amazing benchmarks uh, as well as touchstones to the population and the habits and the thoughts and the behaviors that would be really interesting right yeah and and i think our our crew on oahu especially uh a lot of them anyway know that that you know I'm, i've lately have been just just hammering them for insights you know and, and really trying to uh, I'm, I'm i'm pulling at that sort of sweater thread of, of trying to unravel uh this conversation from all of those different angles and, and it's also it's also fair i mean rather unfair to really generalize about a market of you know over a million people because there's so many different influences and I'm and these are really broad stroke assumptions that I'm making but they're there and and it's it's I, I think it's relevant you know the, the person that 
um, is going to spend you know, $3 million, for example, has a totally different set of interests and, and considerations than the person that's going to, you know, um, buy their second home because they had another baby and they're going to spend half a million dollars and it's this massive consideration and timing and when the kids are out of school and, and all of that. So what they look for and what they're going to align themselves with is just these are differences. And, and we have to be really, really mindful of that and be sure we speak to them. Yes, however, let me offer something that what what is different about at least the population really about whom I can speak, this, this modern affluent, they could very possibly buy that $500,000 home, even though they have millions to spend. They right. could very possibly be your 500000 for a myriad reasons, right, that they would do that. But they could be that buyer, even though if you profiled them, you'd say, well, this is the $3 million house buyer. But this is what I'm talking right. about, why unlike 10, 15 years ago, when you could do it reasonably easily, because you're talking about the boomers, period, right? And, well, that's also a generalization, because just because you're in an age group doesn't mean you behave the way everybody else does. But by and large, you were able, consumers and, and consumer packaged goods companies were able to understand how to reach men and women uh, together and separately in that, in that age band. And it isn't as true anymore because of the, the changing demographic, millennials behaving so much differently, um, boomers aging very differently than their senior parents, right? Not going off to the sun cities of the world, but actually gravitating to places that gave them brand new experiences and, and kind of a, a hustle in a very different way. So I think that that's just something to be mindful, be mindful of, of right. that you could you could absolutely find uh, somebody who walks in in a pair of jeans and flip flops and you know a t-shirt that may look like they paid twenty nine dollars and they paid three hundred. Oh, of, and of course. they're like, yeah. hey, you know, and you probably see this all the time. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking of just buying a little place and then I want to experience this place and then I'll decide what I want next and then they buy land and then they bring over their architect. I mean, it's it really is showing up differently here. So I, I think that's the thing also to, to, yeah, to be mindful of. Well, I wanted to say, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I, I so want to just spend a second to talk about the new launch of, of Dwell.com because it is awesome and I, it's such an incredible, uh, must be a giant accomplishment because, I, because of the depth that's there. So I don't know if you can just share a little bit about the genesis of that and how it all came to be and how it's going because I know yep. that there's always this sort of, um, you know, this this intense period right after you launch a new website. Yeah, so it's um, it's incredibly exciting. I I really it it feels like we we just gave birth to a new baby. Um, but here's how it came about. I mean, we've we've always considered ourselves a brand that um, transcended a form factor. So we're incredibly proud of our award-winning magazine and um, and our unbelievable new products that are going to come out in 1,200 uh, Target stores on December 27th that are designed by our, our uh, creative team. Um, but what we always knew, 
and this goes back several years, is that we were going to have to really continue to lead by being on, hopefully not the bleeding edge, but absolutely the cutting edge of a digital experience. And so we tried partnering our way and licensing and JVing because we said, what? Fundamentally, we're in the content business. We know our, our position. We understand um, the responsibility of what it means to be the arbiter of modern architecture and design uh, around the world, and certainly not the only one, but, but a leading voice in that. But what does that mean when you really translate it to a platform that fundamentally should change the conversation? And what we were trying to do, quite simply, was to have a platform that allowed the community to participate with us, not through some ossified uh, submissions queue where nobody saw it but the editors and frankly 1% of the projects we get every month make it into the magazine and or onto the site. That's how many we get. But we really thought just because it doesn't pass muster for us in those places, why shouldn't we give voice to those people and let them each decide? That is the community at, at work. Let them decide. What they when like you say don't 1%, like what when you say one percent you mean yeah. what do you mean do you mean of of submissions I mean, that you get or yes, exactly. We get hundreds of submissions every month, and one to five percent make it into the magazine and or onto the site now some I of it is okay, is it. because we really think some of it is really not good, and some of it is is good but it may be missing a great story and it may be a spec house and we don't typically do that. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons, but we always felt that, well, but wait a second, the way to have scale here, still keep our brand and our point of view and our voice that everybody counts on, but be able to really democratize the experience and let the community participate and help filter and judge with and for each other. And finally, after, many experiments, all of which were instructive and none of them horrible by any stretch, we decided that we had to build it ourselves. And we hired a killer team that had been at uh, Built Beats Music Platform and didn't want to be a little fish in a big pond at Apple and came to us and continued to build out an engineering and product team, which now accounts for about 40% of the company. And wow. we launched a collaborative technology platform that fuels I think one of the finest design interest networks that there that exists. And I say that and so that sounds cool. horribly self-serving, but the reason it's so good is not this time because Dwell is in charge or Dwell is in control or because, you know, we're giving the, you know, proverbial sermon on the mount about that issue and the topic. But because the community of architects and designers and um, design-savvy consumers are lending their voices and their projects and their knowledge and their comments and annotations and it, stories and collections. It's phenomenal. Now, it's early yet. We're only 90 days into this, really. 100, to be exact. And um, we have already have 155,000 registered users. That's Unreal. A subset of the people who come and browse, which are way over a million. And the right. registered users are spending, you know, five to six minutes on the site and adding stories and posting collections. And so I, I am 
I'm so proud of, of what is there and I now the power of it and our job is to make sure, A, everybody knows that they're invited to share and that this is not about passing muster or are they worthy, you know, of dwell and no, they are absolutely worthy and we're not worried. The other thing we get is, well, aren't you worried that if it's a lot of user generated content, you know, you won't be able to control your brand anymore. Not true in this platform. We have our feed. You may always go to dwell.com and the major feed to count on us and our point of view. But you may want to follow. I may want to follow you, Mac. You may want to follow me and follow Wild Life and follow um, somebody else, follow Gisato or Design Milk or someone else. And that's great. That is what will create the kind of effect that will, and our new tagline is, make good design a daily habit. Go from inspiration. It's not about having to be on the site when you're ready to remodel your house or buy or sell a home, but every day to see what people are doing, to understand the way people live and how do they do what they do, and then to share your own experiences. So, so far, so good. We also have those publishing partners, Design Milk, Chisato, Petrolicious, Huckberry, they're all publishing right on our site. We love it. Absolutely that's love so it. Cool. And that's what will so give those, a, a great confluence. For those people that haven't been there yet or don't know this this new platform, what, and this is, you know, I'm going to caveman description of this, but basically what they've done, which is so genius, is if you think about just the, the pure eye candy that you might find in a given magazine that dwells, you know, want to pick a, an issue with dwell or, you know, maybe even on the website, they've taken that, that, those images, that content, and they've given it depth by basically being able to elaborate and collaborate on maybe, let's, let's just say hypothetically, it's a, a shot of a living room and there's this incredible, awesome table. Well, someone can go and basically grab that table and you know, screenshot it and then start a discussion about it. And that someone could also be the maker of the table or the homeowner or a random user or a brand or anybody. And, th- and then there's this, you know, this collaboration and conversation and then there's submission in those threads that just becomes, it just adds so much depth. And that, that, to your point, I can totally empathize with the concern for, the amount of user-generated content. I mean, it's like having a blog and just opening it up to sort of trolls bill. But I think, you know, you're, you're dealing at such a level and the, the enthusiasm and the interest is so high that, you know, you're always going to get the sort of warrior, like kind of, let me just check out what's going on here. And wow, that's really cool. And I like that. And I, I'm not really going to get engaged, but you're also going to get this incredible enthusiastic, uh, you know, conversation about, all of these different topics and it's not just consumer stuff, right? It's, it's design in general and, and, and much more broad stroke stuff that isn't just product oriented. And so that to me is just, it's genius because it adds so many layers of depth. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's awesome to witness and, and congratulations on that execution because it's, I haven't seen anything like it personally. Well, thank you. Well, Did that's I why I hope that? everybody that- at Workshop decides to, to get a profile and post their photos and their inspirations and follow each other and, and have this be part of their experience. It's, there's no charge. This isn't a freemium model where you only get your profile and then you have to, 
this is all there. And what's in it for Dwell is that we then get to be the brand over this destination that has amazingly rich, deep content, again, with and for the community we serve. It's so cool. Did I describe it right? Did I leave anything out of that? Or is that why? I mean, I, it, it didn't take me long to get that. Um, and I'm wondering if I if I left stuff out. But I, I just, yeah, I remember, I literally, I came home from, you know, visiting in San Francisco and, and I told our team, I was like, okay, we're creating an account. We're uploading anything to get our hands on it. Let's keep it. It was just so, so cool. You know, it's like you can't not be there if you're, if you're a, a brand or even exactly. a person that has any, a remote interest in anything modern. Well, you'll be interested that the the channel, we have channels that haven't launched yet, which will be bigger than collections, right? There'll be whole lifestyle discussions. The channels that uh, our users are eager for us to create is called Modern Homes for Sale. Interesting. So, That's fun. We'll have to talk about that over a, a wonderful drink that has a piece of pineapple in it. I think people will love that. Um, you know, I, I just think about it. You, you, they're really, and this is amazing. But and it probably comes to the curation that you are, you know, you know so well. That's where the challenge lies. But there really isn't an aggregator for modern homes, you know, for, that are for sale. Like you no. can't just go. Let's say I have, I'm getting relocated and I have to go to Seattle. I have to do an incredible amount of arduous work or rely on an agent that's really got a scope. Uh, you know, that's, that's pretty rooted in architecture. Let's be candid. I mean, most people are, most brokers are going to be geographically constrained, right? They're, they're going to work a certain region. They're not going to think about it in terms of like, oh, I only do, you know, <laughs> contemporary or I only, that's not, that's not what, how brokerages work. So there's no aggregate. There's no, there's no place that you can go to to say, hey, just really quickly show me the, you know, all the modern homes in a certain area that I might be interested in seeing. That would be so cool to have. Yep. It would be. Coming right up. All right. It would be. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So so let's see. We've got you. You are keynoting on Saturday morning with the Modern Face of Affluence. So hopefully we'll get to hear what the, you know, a little deeper dive of what that, what that study has brought. And then we've also got you, you on Friday on a, on a design panel with Nicole Hollis. And I, I should preface that by saying it might be a little deeper than just design. It could go into, you know, architecture and, and other stuff. But I'm, I'm, uh, I have the great benefit of not being the MC this year. So I get to, like, be a little bit more of an attendee and not quite so having to think about, you know, who I'm going to introduce next or, uh, what's going on backstage or all that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm thrilled because I get to like pay more attention. So fabulous. Well, I'm I'm really excited to be back at Workshop, and I've told everybody I know that they should get to this conference if they really enjoy understanding, um, you know, a, a deep, much deeper context than why people buy or sell a home. I mean, it, I that's what struck me the first time. I was fortunate enough to attend was I went, well, wait a minute. <laughs> this is about right. personas and branding and attitudes and what people like and what people respond to and culture. I, I, I was totally fascinated. So um, it's, it's really going to be exciting. And I'm 
so glad to be getting out of the frozen tundra here in New York, um, where I am <laughs> at the moment. Well, that's part of it too. We do get to play that card of, of Hawaii in December. But I always say, like, we're, we're you know, my expression for it is that we've all, we're always saved by the content. But and what I mean by that is that you know, we, we at Hawaii Life, or even just the few of us that are involved in the production of this thing, we have this brilliant. Um, gift is just having to be able to be the facilitators. It's you're the one that's making the event so great, right? I and mean, it's your your manao we say in Hawaii, your your wisdom that's that it, the aggregate of these speakers and, and then I think too the threads that that you all draw so quickly uh, on each other's work. And sometimes it's just osmosis and sometimes it's you know literally picking up on what so and so said a minute ago or yesterday or in this phone call or whatever it was that makes it make it so incredible and that's where you know we get to kind of stand back and just be in awe of the incredible talent that that shows up for this thing that part is you know knock on wood it's just been really really spectacular so thank you and and thank you for being such a an ongoing supporter we are we're psyched to have you back you're a you're, you're a veteran if there is one wonderful well thank you so much I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I can't wait to see you. Aloha, Michaela. Aloha.